Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Now, uh, as you know, for the last several weeks, we've been looking at the book of Acts. And we've really been focusing on the, the first church, how the church started, uh, what was really their focus and their desire, and really what gave them the power they had to accomplish so much in the time that they were around. Because the first century church really... Uh, was a very effective church. The Bible says that this church, these people, turned the world upside down with the gospel. They literally got the gospel to every part of the world that they knew about. And so then we come to uh, Acts chapter number 3, and we're going to see uh, really the first post-ascension miracle in the Bible. Now, when I say that, this is the first miracle that is performed by the apostles after Jesus has ascended to heaven. And there's a lot of miracles throughout the, the book of Acts. This is, this is the first time. In chapter 3, it shows us the first miracle after the ascension. And this first miracle, it involves Peter, it involves John, and it involves them healing a lame man. Now, physical healing in the book of Acts, uh, it appears throughout the book of Acts. Acts actually, it appears 14 times in 12 chapters. And so Acts chapter 3 is the first really physical kind of healing miracle. And really, if we understand this miracle, and what God was doing, and what God was teaching, and what God was trying to get across. If we understand that miracle, then we can understand the rest of the miracles throughout the book of Acts. Now, God, in this, in this healing, in this miracle, God shows us how he feels about suffering. How he feels about humanity and, and the disease and the sickness and the pain that we go through, but it also shows us what he is going to do about it. It shows us what he says to us in our suffering, and it shows the church what our mission is in the world today. So we're going to look at that, that miracle this morning and then see what God's trying to teach us. And if we have time, we'll, we'll answer a few questions. Look at Acts chapter 3, starting in verse number 1. We're going to read down through verse number 11. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple after the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. So get the scene here. Peter and John, they're going to the temple. Now, they are not going to the temple to offer sacrifices or worship. They are going to the temple to teach the gospel, to teach about Jesus, how he was the Messiah, how he came 
as God in the flesh, how he lived a perfect, sinless life, how he died a substitutionary death on the cross. And when he rose again, he made redemption for all mankind available to anyone who would put their faith and trust in his finished work on the cross. And as they're going to the temple, they see this lame man, this beggar. This is a guy who the Bible says he's been lame since birth. So it's not like this was a man who got injured one day or who got a disease one day. This was someone who, from the day he was born, was crippled in some way. He was unable to walk. We don't know why, we don't know really what's wrong with his legs, but he couldn't walk. And so every day his family would carry him to the temple and lay him by the gate of the temple and he would beg all day long. He was a, he was well known. People knew this guy. He was very recognizable as a lame man who'd been lame his entire life. And so Peter and John, they're going up there and they see this guy. And so look at verse 3. It says, Who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple asked an alms. So that's literally, he's, he's hey, you got any change? You got any spare change? You know, it's like, you know, we see him today. Uh, people who now they're not really sitting, you know, they get to the temple, they're sitting on the medians by stoplights, but they have the sign, uh, you know, anything will help, or, you know, and, you know, homeless, whatever. And, you know, they're, they're asking for money, and that's fine. <clears throat> and so that's what this guy's doing. He sees Peter and John, and he goes, hey, can you, can you give me some change? Do you have any, you have any change to spare? And, uh, uh, you know, they all, they, especially if you're downtown, uh, people will come up to you and say, hey, man, you got any, can I have a dollar? And I, I never carry cash on me. And uh, so I'm like, I don't have any cash. Sorry. Uh, you have a credit card reader? Because that's all I can give you. Uh, but so this guy, hey, you got any? you got anything to spare? And verse 4, And Peter, <coughs> fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave unto them, expecting to receive something of them. So he says, and he's probably not really looking at him. He's like, hey, you got any spare change? And Peter says, hey, look at me. And the guy's like, oh, man, this guy's going to give me something. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none. Just like me. I ain't got no change. Uh, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones Received strength, and he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, remember, this guy has been crippled since the day he was born, he has never really been able to walk. He's 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 an older guy, we don't know how old he is, but he's an adult, and so his entire childhood, he was never able to run and play and jump. His entire teenage years, he was never able to, to help out around the family farm and, and help you know, during harvest. And the only thing he's ever been able to do is sit down and beg. That's all he's ever done. Everyone knows that. Everyone at the temple who comes to the temple daily for their alms and their offerings, they know this guy has been crippled his whole life. He's always there. He's never walking around. He's always at that gate, always begging. Now he jumps up. He's walking around, he's leaping, he's praising God. He goes into the temple with Peter and John, and people take notice. 
People notice who this, this guy. Oh, hey, isn't that the beggar who's never been able, Now he's walking around and he's leaping and he's praising God. Verse 9. <clears throat> and all the people saw him walking and praising God and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. So again, Peter and John, they're walking to the temple to uh, preach the gospel. They see this lame man. This is a a, a beg man. He's He's asked for money all the time. And so when he, Peter and John come up to him, the guy says, hey, you got any cash, got any change, got anything for me? Peter says, hey, look at me. I don't have any money. But I have something better for you. Stand up and walk. And so this man, he, 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 this guy reaches out his hand, and he immediately, because of his faith, he is immediately healed. And he jumps up and, and starts praising God. And, you know, it's amazing to me, he doesn't, he doesn't slowly get up. You know, if you've ever, if you've ever, especially me, maybe you're younger, it doesn't hurt you. But if you've ever been, when I'm ever on a long road trip and I'm behind the wheel, for several hours. Like we every, we, whenever we go to Florida on vacation, you know, it's a 12 hour drive. We, we break it up. Usually it's, you know, we'll drive for five or six hours, get out, have lunch. But whenever I, I get out of the car after sitting for five or six hours, it is, it hurts. You know, I'm like, oh, my legs, they're stiff, they're sore. Anybody else like that? Oh, and you get up in the morning, you know, it takes you a while to get out of bed. And you're grunting the whole time, like, oh, you know that this lame guy didn't do that. He, he and then remember, this guy's never walked, and he immediately gets up and he immediately starts praising God and jumping around, and so it, it causes a commotion, and people gather around Peter and they're like, hey, what, what happened? How did you? do that. And Peter, he takes an opportunity to preach to him. Look at verse number 12. <clears throat> and when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? He goes, well, why are you looking at me? I, you know, it wasn't my power. It wasn't my you know, magic that healed this guy. And he explains what happened. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son, Jesus, who you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One, the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life, who God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Now, if, if, if you've ever preached to a hostile group of people, 
This is not the way to start your message. You know, Peter's like, I don't know why y'all are amazed. You remember Jesus, the guy you murdered? The guy you gave up? The guy you rejected for that rapist and murderer of robbers? Remember him? Yeah, he is God in the flesh. God raised him up. He's the one that's having the power to do this. And so he's really in a very kind of adversarial, preachy way, preaching the gospel uh, to them. And then look at verse number 17, uh, 16. And, and, through, and his name, through faith in his name, have made this man strong, whom you now see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I would not that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers, but those things which God before has showed by the mouth of all the prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. Repent you therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, who, who the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your father God, your, your God, raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him you shall hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not bear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of, of Peter's message here, but Peter, he takes this opportunity to really preach Christ to, these, to this crowd. He preaches the resurrected Savior, he gives the gospel, but he also really shows us why God allowed this miracle and other miracles in the book of Acts and in the Bible what their purpose is. And these miracles, really, they point us in four different directions. They call us to look in four different ways. The first place they want us to look is they want us to look upward. Look at verse number 15. <clears throat> and kill the prince of life, who God has raised from the dead, Whereof we are witnesses. Now, these miracles, they were not for the apostles to get glory. They were not for the apostles to show their power or their strength or their ability. These miracles were the authentication of Jesus. They were to prove to the world that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. He was the Messiah that was prophesied to come and bear the sins of man and die in our place and rise again to redeem us to God. And the apostles, their ability to perform these miracles was proving to the world that they spoke for Jesus. It validated the, the apostles were serving the one true God. It showed everyone around them that they weren't serving false gods or themselves. You know, Hebrews chapter 2 says it this way. It says, how shall we escape if 
he neglects such great salvation, which was first declared by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bore them witness with signs and wonders and diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his own will. See, the miracles that the apostles were able and allowed to perform in the book of Acts was God telling the world, these guys speak for me. Their message is accurate. They are telling the truth. This is what I want the world to know about me. So what we need to understand here is in our, our culture today, because again, you know, again, we're looking at a different culture now than we had then. But what the Bible is teaching us is when we are looking at two contradictory opinions about God, because the world has a lot of opinions about God. Church has a lot, church culture has a lot of opinions about God. And not all of them are correct. And not all of them are true. So if we are presented with two contradictory opinions about God or about Jesus, we are to take the one that is proven by a miracle. See, the events of Jesus' life and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, they are proof of the miracles of God, and they are proof that Jesus is God. Now, again, in our culture today, especially in church, church culture, uh, especially in our Baptist culture, we've kind of gotten away from really believing that God does miracles today. You know, I was reading a recent article and a lot of, two, I think it was something like 43 or 44% uh, of believers, people who claim to have Jesus as a Savior, who, who claim to put their faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that something like 43 or 44% don't really believe the miracles of the Bible are true. That they don't believe God literally parted the Red Sea. That they don't believe God literally flooded the entire world in the book in the, the days of Noah. That, that God didn't put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace and they came out completely fine, not even smelling like smoke. That all the miracles in the Bible are just kind of stories to help us you know, know about God, but God didn't really do that. And so maybe the miracles of the New Testament aren't true either. Now, here's what we have to understand. If you believe in God, then you have to believe in the miracles of God. You have to believe that God does miracles and accept the possibilities of miracles. Look, the greatest miracle besides the resurrection of Jesus, the greatest miracle is the one that we see in Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning. In God created the heavens and the earth. See, God created everything we see, everything we smell, everything we taste, everything we hear, and He created it out of nothing. 
He spoke it into existence. Now, the God, when God created the universe, He created the laws of the universe. You know, like, for instance, the law of gravity. We all understand that gravity is a thing, right? That if it weren't for gravity, we'd all be shot out into space. And so gravity is a thing. We understand. You know, we understand how the sun works. I remember, you know, over less than 100 years ago, uh, many scientists believed that the sun got its power directly from God. That God infused his power into the sun, and that's where the sun got its power to shine and to, to send heat to the earth. Now, we, we know that's not true. That the sun gets its power through no, nuclear fission. And through all these you know, things happening in the center of the core of the, the sun, that it sends out this, this light and it sends out this heat that warms us. And not very very much lately, but it gives us light and it gives us uh, warmth and it grows. That's, that's how it happens. Now, that doesn't take away the fact that God created the sun. It just tells us how God wants the sun to run. And so God created the laws of nature, of, of physics, of the world. So creation is run by these particular laws. And so since God created the laws, God can certainly suspend them when he wants to. And we've seen it in Scripture. You know, typically, the wind doesn't blow enough for an entire sea to part and dry the ground in the night. But God did that in the Bible. Typically, God doesn't stop the sun so that the armies of Israel can continue defeating their, their enemies, but it happened once in Scripture. So God created the universe, God created the laws of the universe, so God can suspend the laws of the universe when he wants to. You know, there's a story I heard about a little girl in Sunday school. The teacher was talking to her about Jonah, and you know, she was going through the story of Jonah and the whale, and the little girl, she just kept having questions. She said, yeah, how did that fish know where to be when Jonah was thrown overboard? How, how, did, how did that fish get its mouth open wide enough to swallow Jonah without biting, without crushing him or chewing him up? You know, how did Jonah, how did he find air to where he could survive for three days in the belly of that fish? Now, personally, I don't think Jonah survived three days. I personally think Jonah died. And God rose him from the dead. That's another thing. Or, here's a good one. How did that fish know exactly where to puke Jonah up? How, how is that possible? And the teacher just kept saying, well, you know, well, God. Well, God. And the little girl said, well, if you're going to bring God into this, anything's possible. And that's true. If you are going to believe in God, that God is all-powerful, that God is all-knowing, then we believe that God can do Anything. See, there are things in the Bible, like Jesus' virgin birth, like his miracles while he was on earth, the walking on water, turning water into wine, healing people, raising people from the dead, but especially his own resurrection. There are miracles in the Bible that you cannot take God out of. You can't take God out of turning water into wine. 
You can't take God out of Jesus walking on water. You can't take God out of Jesus healing people or rising from the dead. So you are either a committed, avowed atheist or you believe in the miracles of God. God surrounded the ministry and the life of Jesus with miracles to authenticate His message. There's no other explanation of Jesus' life and His birth uh, or the birth of the church outside of God. So miracles were God's way of proving that Jesus is the Messiah and that His followers have the true message of salvation. Miracles point us to Jesus. They give us a place to rest our faith in. And so we don't put our we don't put our faith in the miracles. We put our faith in the God of the miracles. Miracles point us upward towards God. Second place they point us. They point upward to God, then they point forward. Look at verse number 21. <clears throat> whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. So Peter says this healing, this lame man who received a healing and got up and started jumping, this healing points us to a coming restoration that God has promised since throughout the Bible. We see it most clearly in Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah 35, verse 6. The, this, is a, this, this healing right here is a fulfillment of Isaiah 35, 6, where it says, Then the lame man, then the lame will leap like the deer. Now, Isaiah, he prophesied that God would send the Messiah to purchase the healing of the world through his wounds. Through his stripes, we are healed. Through his death, through his resurrection, through all that he went through, all the, the pain that he endured, through his wounds, the Bible says that the earth, the pain, the suffering will all be removed. We will be restored to what God originally intended us to be. Look at what the Bible says in Isaiah 11. It says, The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf of the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my, my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So this prophecy that Isaiah is saying, this is what the world's going to be like, is like, hey, in the future, when God restores everything, then, you know, bears and cows will graze in the same field, and the bear's not grazing on the cow. The bear's grazing on grass. That the leopard now is eating is a vegetarian, I guess a vegan. You know, that, that, you know, these animals that we know as predators, they're not going to be predators anymore. You know, I like, uh, like, I like on YouTube, I like to watch some, like, uh, animal interaction videos. And there was one I saw the other day, 
this this guy, I can't remember where he was, but his uh he had his dogs out on like a screened in porch, and this black bear broke into his porch to eat his dogs, and this guy attacked the black bear and won. I'm like, man, that's that guy's gutsy. But he went after this black bear and fought this black bear, and the black bear ran away. So what the Bible's telling us is one day that black bear is no longer going to break into this guy's porch to eat the dogs. They're going to play together. That we're no longer going to be scared of, of, of lions and tigers and all these things. That, that children will be able to play with snakes and not get bitten. Now look, even in paradise, that's weird. All right? So... I hate snakes, and even in the, you know, when God creates the new heaven and the new earth, I don't want to play with snakes. Snakes to me are just, yeah. So I don't want to stick my hand. You, you can do you, I'm not doing that, but the Bible says you can't do that. Then Isaiah 35. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, the lame men shall leap as a deer, and the tongues of the mute shall sing for joy. For in the wilderness water shall break out and streams in the desert, the parched ground shall become a pool, the thirsty land springs of water, and the habitation, the jackals uh, where each lay there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. So again, he goes, look, everyone who's sick are going to be healed. There'll be no more disease. There'll be no more blindness. There'll be no more deafness. There'll be no more lameness. That we will all be restored to a perfect body. Look, he says in the, in the, the, in the restoration God is bringing, there'll never be a day where you Wake up in the morning and think, I hurt myself because I slept wrong. Like, I did that this week. I woke up one morning. I was just sore. It was like, what'd you do? I'm like, I, don't know. I went to sleep. And I woke up hurting because that's how old I am now. That's never going to happen. Our bodies will be completely restored. Isaiah 49, lift up your eyes and look all around. All these gather themselves together and come to you. As I live, says the Lord, you shall shall surely put on all of them as ornaments and bind them on the, you as the bride does. Thus says the Lord God, see, I will lift you up my hand to the nations and set my standard on the peoples and they shall bring my sons in their arms and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Look, that is the future that God has promised us. That in the future, we don't know when, but one day God will create a new, and again, I think it's restored. If you look at the original, it's not really create new, it's restore, bring back to original, like factory reset. But whatever, one day, no more pain, no more sickness, no more heartache, no more danger from nature, no more cancer. Look, no more winter and snow, praise God. It's going to be 72 all the time. I know you can disagree with me if you want to. Look, your heaven can be full of snow. You crazy. I like it warm. But God's, this miracle is showing us, hey, this is what's going to happen to everyone one day. Now, does this mean that every believer who suffers a sickness or an illness or an injury is going to be healed? No. Look, there were a lot of lame people in Jerusalem at this time. Most of them were around the temple begging just like this guy. Peter healed this one. He didn't heal all of them. He healed this one guy. But this 
one healing. It's a sign of the full restoration that's going to come to all of God's children in the future. So miracles point forward to the restoration that Jesus is bringing to the entire world. His, his miracles were not meant to show how powerful he was because if he wanted to show how powerful he was, he could have done that easily. He could have written his name in the sky. He could have done whatever he wanted to do to prove how powerful he wanted to. But the miracles of Christ and the miracles of the apostles, they always relieved suffering. They pointed to the saving purpose of Jesus. I heard it said like this. His miracles didn't show the naked truth, didn't show off the naked truth of His power. They revealed the redemptive purpose for His power. He healed lepers. He cured blindness. He stopped storms. He raised the dead. He was showing us God isn't happy with the state of our world. God did not create the world with pain. The pain we endure, the sickness, the loss, the heartache, that's a result of sin, the corruption of sin of the world. Pain and disease, they're not natural to the world. So miracles point us to the world as God wanted it to be and the way God will restore it one day. Miracles are not the suspension of the natural order. They are the restoration of the way God intended it to be. And healings are the are only natural thing in a world. Healings are only natural in a world that is unnatural because of it is brokenness because of sin. So here's what it's saying. If you're in pain, Maybe you've got sickness. Maybe you've got disease. Maybe you've got injury. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you know someone who's suffering. If you're in pain, there's hope. That God is telling us this pain is only temporary. We are made for a world without brokenness, without pain. Miracles point to our future hope. Third place, miracles point. They not only point upward, not only point forward, but thirdly, they point inward. Look at verse number 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk up and rise up and walk. See, physical ailments point to the heart condition of every single one of us. Let me explain it to you. Physical blindness points to the spiritual blindness that we all have in the world. Physical sickness points to the sickness of our souls without Christ. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying if you're sick it's your fault. I'm not saying that if you're like, oh, well, my eyesight's going by, I've got, you know, preachers have said I'm spiritually blind. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying sickness in general points to the sin sickness of the entire world. 
you're sick because that's just, you're sick. But we have sickness because of the sin of the world. Physical sickness in general corresponds to the spiritual sickness that we all suffer from. And so miracles, they point to a salvation that only comes from Christ. That only comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They point to something better than the world has to offer. This beggar, this lame man, he wasn't asking to be healed. You know, in the, in, in the uh, Gospels, sometimes when Jesus was going through, you would, people who knew who he was, you see lepers saying, you know, Son of David, heal us or, or help us blind people are coming to him. The woman with the issue of blood, she, she knows if I get to him, then I can be healed. This, blood, this lame man, he wasn't asking Peter and John to heal him. He was asking for money. And Peter says, I don't have any money. But what I can give you is better than any amount of money I could give you at all. Instead of money, he gave him physical healing. Now, we're going to see next week, this physical healing that this lame man that he had led to his spiritual healing in chapter number 4. He accepts Christ as the Savior. He becomes a disciple of Jesus. He goes out in the ministry to preach the, the gospel. So he got something far better than money could have ever got him. He becomes a disciple of Jesus. And as bad as his suffering was, being crippled by sin was worse. As great as his physical healing was, the greater thing he needed wasn't physical healing, he needed spiritual salvation. But look, if Peter had said, I don't have money, I can't heal you, but I can tell you about Jesus, and if you, you put your trust in him, and he'll forgive your sins and give you eternal life. Now that's true. That's gospel truth. If Peter would have said, look, I can't give you money, I can't even heal you, but look, let me give you the gospel. And he had preached the gospel to him, and this guy got him to say, look, that's true, it's wonderful, it's incredible, but as we're reading it now, we're like, that's not as, it's not as spectacular. If Peter would have just said, I can't heal you, I got no cash, but let me tell you about Jesus. It's not as spectacular. Now, it isn't the, isn't the salvation of a soul, isn't the promise of a greater restoration one day isn't everything that's going to come because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ through salvation isn't that greater than a temporary miracle? Look, think about Lazarus. You know the story of Lazarus. He died. Four days later, Jesus shows up and he raises him from the dead. Look, it, that's a great miracle. That, that's incredible. I always feel bad for Lazarus, though. Because Whatever he went through, he was sick and he died of the sickness. And yes, Jesus rose from the dead, and he was probably, when he rose from the dead, healed from whatever disease he had. But Lazarus had to die again. He didn't live forever. He had to go through death again. And while that was a great miracle, it was just a temporary healing because, again, he died, but he knew he was going to get eternal healing one day. 
And he knew that the full restoration that came through the gospel was greater than any temporary healing that God could have given him. See, this man, he saw people at the temple every day. As he's sitting at the gate, he sees people coming in and walking and worshiping and walking. And I am sure he thought, if I could walk, I'd be happy. But let me ask you a question. Is that true? How many of y'all can walk? Not a lot of your hands are up. How many of y'all can walk? How many of y'all are always happy? Walking doesn't equal happiness. You know, perfect health doesn't equal happiness. We all have something that we think, if I could just get that, I'd be satisfied. Maybe it's a better job. If I could get that job, I'd be happy. If I could get that house, I'd be happy. If I could get that car, I'd be happy. If I could get that spouse, I'd be happy. But look, there are people who have that job, who have that house, who have that car. Hopefully they don't have that spouse. But people who have those things, and guess what? They're not always happy. The only thing that brings eternal happiness and joy is the relationship with Christ. You know, other people have what we long for and they're not satisfied. We need more than just physical healing. We need more than, than money or relationships for true joy and happiness. We need restoration with God. As bad as physical suffering is, being crippled by sin is worse. And as great as physical healing is, there's something far, far greater that's being restored to a relationship with God. Physical healing without spiritual healing is worthless. And honestly, it's probably harmful. Here's the thing. Satan would gladly take away all the pain you have if it'll keep you from worshiping Jesus. If it'll keep you from having a relationship with God. Now, I can't, I can't heal you. I, I just, I'm letting you know right now, I can't heal you. Benny Hinn can't heal you. Anyone on TV blowing on you and throwing a coat at you cannot heal you. We can't offer this physical healing, but I can offer something greater. We can tell you how to be restored to God. See, forgiveness of sin, intimacy with God, and incorruptible inheritance, these are greater than any healing we could ever have. Whatever pain we are facing, the greatest need we have is to be reconciled to God, to live in fellowship with God. So miracles, they point upward to God. They point forward to the restoration that God's going to bring. But they also point inward to make us see our need for God, our need for salvation. Fourth place they point is downward. For this, I want you to look at chapter number four. <clears throat> and as they spoke unto the people, 
the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. So Peter and John, they go to the temple, they heal this guy. Because this guy's healed, people gather around. And Peter and John, they're preaching the gospel. 5,000 people get saved. Great and great day for, for the gospel. Man, those people are rejoicing. And you know what the reward that Peter and John get for healing this guy is? They get thrown in jail. Doesn't seem like a great reward. You know, you heal someone, you perform a miracle, people get saved, and you get put into prison. See, this is the direction that we are supposed to go in the mission that God gave the church. God tells us that when we, as we serve Him and as we fulfill His mission, we are to humble ourselves for God. Peter and John weren't rewarded for this miracle. They were punished. They were put in Acts. You're going to see throughout the book of Acts... Every miracle in the book of Acts always got the miracle worker in trouble. You know, in, in our culture now with, with the superhero movies and Marvel movies, when a hero gets superpowers, they usually become invincible and people praise them. You know, Superman, I know he didn't get them, he always had them, but... Uh, okay, Spider-Man, he gets bit by that radioactive spider and he gets his superpower and people are praising him because he's a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and he's a hero and people love him and people are, are happy that he's around. In the Bible, when God gives you power, it always brings punishment. Not from God, but it brings pain from the world. When God gives you power, it makes you vulnerable. Power brings suffering. To relieve this man's suffering, they had to suffer. He gets healed, they go to prison. Same is true with Jesus. After Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, you know what the Pharisees and Sadducees did? They got together and talked about how awesome that was and how great it was. No. After he raised Lazarus from the dead, they got together and said, we've got to kill that guy. John eleven fifty three. So from that day forward, what day? The day he rose Lazarus from the dead. From that day forward, they planned to put him to death. Tim Keller says it this way. By taking Lazarus out of the grave, he put himself in. That's called substitution. Jesus, remember when Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood? Remember what the Bible says? He says that he knew she'd been healed because power left him. Power came out of him. Power had to leave him so she could be healed. He suffered so she could be healed. He suffered so that we could be saved. Jesus poured his life out so we could be saved. The healing of the world came from the suffering of Christ. God wants us 
to pour ourselves out so that the world can hear of His love and His sacrifice. We pour ourselves out. We pour out our money and our opportunities and our power as a sacrifice so that others can be healed. We enter into other people's pain, bearing it so that they may be healed through it. See, sacrifice was never meant to force God to bless us. We give of ourselves sac- uh, sacrificially, never being promised a blessing in return. No, you know, the Bible says, Give it, it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shall be running. So, you know, people abuse it all the time. And, you know, these prosperity gospel preachers, you know, if you, if you give a seed faith of $100, God will restore it to you tenfold, praise God. Look, that's not true. If you want to test that theory, you can. Give me 100 bucks and we'll see if God gives you 1000 next week. I doubt he will, but let's just try that. I'll get richer. You won't. That's the whole problem with the prosperity gospel. It's not for you, it's for them. But anyway, I digress. Yes, the Bible says that give and it shall be given unto you. But you don't give to God to get from God. God called us to the cross. Remember what Jesus says? If any man wants to follow me, he must take up his cross and follow me. See, God called us to the cross. That means that sometimes we give and it leads to pain. Sometimes giving gives, leads to sacrifice because you've got to give up something you really wanted. Maybe God calls you to give financially and you're like, I, 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 I'm saving for this nice fancy car and if I give financially, I can't do it. Maybe you've got to sacrifice that. Maybe God's going to give you, well, if I give up my time, I'm not going to be able to do this thing. And God gives us sacrifice. Always calls us, calls for us to give something up. So the healing of the world comes through the sacrificial death of the church. God brings people to Him the same way He always did. Life went out of Him for their salvation. As life, money, time goes out of us, the word is spread and others are saved. See, fulfilling the mission that God's called you to is going to cost you something. It's going to take sacrifice. There is some sacrifice that God's calling you to. God calls all of His children to sacrifice something for His glory. And as we die to that, salvation comes to the world. You know, God's purpose in the miracles is not to punish the miracle worker. You know, Peter, Peter and John performed this miracle and God didn't punish them, didn't allow them to be prison because he was punishing them. He was showing them serving God is always going to take humility. You know, these, these miracles, they were given to the apostles for a specific purpose. Now look, these types of miracles have not stopped today. The way that they were done has stopped. And we'll get into that in future weeks. And we'll talk about in our growth group about how God has kind of ceased the, the showiness of miracles. And yes, 
God heals. I've seen God heal. I've seen God do miracles. And the miracles that God has given us, are they have a purpose of reminding us of our need for God and to cause us to bring glory to Him. They point us upward to Jesus, remind us. First of all, He's the only means of salvation. There's salvation, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus and His death, burial, and resurrection are the only thing that saves. Good works don't save, religion doesn't save. Nothing saves but putting your faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But as believers, it reminds us that all of our power, all of our, everything we need comes from Him. It points to a future healing that God's going to bring us. It points inward to our need for God and downward to remind us that we are to sacrifice for God's honor and God's glory. See, Peter's main message in this miracle was repent. He was telling those who had gathered around, you have been wrong about Jesus. And the miracle is what got people thinking about how they were wrong. Now, if you've never accepted Him as your Savior, maybe you're here, maybe you're watching, and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you have been wrong about Jesus. You need to repent. But maybe you're saved. You've accepted Christ as your Savior, but you've been ignoring Him. God allows miracles to bring us to Him. And here's the thing. Too many times, especially again, in our modern day culture, we think of miracles, we think of these big showy things like here. The healings. The raising from the dead. The Peter being broken out of prison by an angel. Every day, God does miracles in our lives. Little ones that we, we take for granted. And God does them to remind us of our need for Him. So this morning as we close, first of all, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, today's the day to do it. Today's the day to stop trusting yourself or stop trusting your good works or your religion or whatever and say, God, the, the miracle of your death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing I need for my salvation and put your faith and trust in Him. But maybe you've been saved, but you've kind of forgotten about God. Maybe ask God to show you the daily miracles He does in your life to remind you of his love for you. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.